Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Open your Bibles to the Revelations chapter 2, and this is the church of Pergamos. Now, let me say once again that the book of Revelation, you know, I was telling the guys in the back, the Lord spoke to me. What I'm going to show you today is amazing. It's, it's truly amazing. I'm going to show you things that I've never known until three days ago. And it's not something that I drew out. It's something that's right there before us. But you've got to understand, it's not a coincidence. I was telling the guys in back that when I was putting my notes together last night, my thoughts and what God was telling me, the Lord spoke to my heart and he says, is Revelations a vision or is it a prophecy? And I thought, I'm sitting there at my desk and the Lord said, is it a vision for what's going on because as John was on the island of Patmos, God gave him a vision of the seven churches in Asia. These things were happening as God gave John the vision. He said, write these down. Send them to the pastors. But he also said, these are a prophecy of things to come. These are things that the first church faced, but they are also things, and you're going to see it, that the last church is facing right now. And if we have eyes to see and if we have ears to hear, it will not be a terrible thing. It will be a wonderful thing. Let's read the Word of God. Revelations chapter 12, or chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against the things with the sword of my mouth. Those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, otherwise... God will come against the church with the sword of his mouth. Good night, everybody. (laughs) The first thing we want to look at in the church of Pergamos, and let me just give you a a quick rundown real quick. Pergamos, Pergamos was called the compromising church. Pergamos was the capital of the Roman government throughout Asia. The church of Ephesus the church of Smyrna and the church of Pergamos were called in history the royal cities. Ephesus was known as the great political center. Smyrna was known as the great economic center. Pergamos, and this is interesting, was known as the great religious center. Pergamos was called by historians the greatest city in all of Asia. Pergamos had a library there, if you remember history, true fact, that uh, Mark Anthony wanted to give the city of Pergamos to Cleopatra, 
And the highlight of that is Pergamus had a library of books, of volumes of over 200,000. It's a, a, a tremendous city. But it was also the center of Roman government. Now, isn't that interesting that Ephesus was the political center, Smyrna was the economic center, Pergamus was the religious center, but also the center of Roman government. So this is the history of the city of Pergamus. Now, the first thing the Lord says, and we went over this last week, and I'm just going to hit this quickly. He says, the two-edged sword. Now, this is especially understandable to the people of Pergamus because on the shield of the Roman government was a sword. The sword symbolized power, strength. And what God is saying first off is that Rome may have a sword, but I have a two-edged sword. And something that we all need to understand is power does not lie with the government. Power lies with the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. If you're looking to the government to take care of you, you're looking the wrong place. God doesn't have a sword. God has a two-edged sword. Now, I went over this last week, and I'll just say this real quick. If you look at the word there, it literally means two mouths. The two-edged sword is two mouths or two voices. One is a blessing. The other is a curse. And, and, and I'm just going to say this real quick. This is why the Bible says the enemy will be defeated when the second coming takes place and we come back on our horses. We don't fight. We just watch. And God defeats Satan by the word of his mouth. We know about the word being sharper, the tongue being sharper than any two-edged sword. And I could spend months teaching this, but what you've got to understand is the first thing is God is saying to you and I, put a guard on your mouth. You and I are made in the image of God. God spoke the world into existence. God spoke the defeat of every one of our enemies, and we are made in his image. Every time you speak, every time I speak, we create. I think I'm going to lose my job as truly as I live. That which you have spoken in my ear. If I could teach you five things, one of those five things would be shut up. Put a guard on your mouth. It would, we would have such a better life is every time we went to say something negative, the Holy Spirit would just smack you right in the face. It's amazing how people are negative all the time. There is blessings. One's edge are curses in your words. Matter of fact, we can create calling those things which are not as though they were. Can I have an amen? amen. You need to, you, 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 you know, make up your blessing. Make it up. Speak it out. Create it. Man, this year's going to be a good year. Man, we're going to, honey, we're going to be making more money than we've ever made in our lives. You know what? All of our kids are going to get saved. Everybody's coming back to the Lord. You don't look at what the facts are. You create by what the word of God says. We either come in agreement with our words with Satan, or we come in agreement with our words with the God who can do anything. Yeah, I told you about when Tiz got sick and we, let's, let's, uh, three years ago, let's, let's, let's get, let's do this. You know, here Tiz is sitting with her hair falling out. She's got one hair left sticking up and we're going to do this. Contrary to what statistics said, I can remember when Lion and they never had a child his age survive this kind of leukemia. And I said, you know, I can't wait till we take Lion and he's fishing with us, uh, up in Colorado and we're catching fish. Those things happen. Now, it didn't feel like it, didn't look like it, but that's okay. You know, I, I, I say this all the time, and I, I don't mean to stay on this long, but this is one of my favorite subjects. When you're going through a black tunnel, look for the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. 
That light is not an oncoming train. That light is your miracle. But if you can't see the light, speak it into existence. Create that light. Say, my tongue leads me and guides me into safe harbor or stormy seas. Do you get it? All right, now I got to go on. I, 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 that's one of my favorite subjects. But the Bible says that there is blessings and there are curses when you and I speak. The two-edged sword. And God has that two-edged sword in his mouth. And it means that he will defeat every one of our enemies from above and from below. Spiritual enemies. He'll remove your earthly enemies. I, I can't tell you how many. I, I, know, I can't tell you how many times in all the years of ministry I've had people come and say, "Pastor, would you pray with me about my neighbor? My neighbor is a devil." And I'd say, "Here's what you pray: God change him or move him." Amen. We're in control. You're in control. Whatever you bind. So don't bind the blessing by saying negative. Whatever you loosen, don't loosen the devil by your words. Everybody go, duh. Do you get it? Okay, I got to move on because I got too much good stuff. The guard, put a guard on your mouth. All right. The next thing in verse 13, look, look, look at what he says here. The Lord says, I know your works and where you dwell. I know your works. I, I see every one of you. And I know where you're living. And then he goes on and he says, you live in the city that Satan lives in. Now, I'm going to show you something here, but I want to prepare the ground for it. He says, this is where the throne of Satan is. Not, not, not just his house. This is where his throne is. This is where, on this throne, is where Satan is making decisions. And then at the end of verse 13, he says, that's where Satan dwells. Whenever you see something repeated, what does it mean? There's a secret. God did not have to say, this is where Satan's throne is, this is where he dwells. But he says that, in, for those of the, you that are new or watching or here, in rabbinical study, whenever you see something that is repeated, God is not just being redundant, he is letting you know there's a mystery here. So God says, I know what you're going through, I know how you're serving God, but then he goes on and he says, this is the city in which Satan lives, and this is his throne. Now, I'm going to deal with this part at the end of the message because everything else sets this up. But I want you to understand, this is a vision of what the church of Pergamos is going through, but this is also a revelation of Satan trying to set up his throne again in the last church. Now let's jump down. And he says, you hold fast to my name and do not deny my faith. And he talks about Antipas who was a faithful martyr. There's not much written about Antipas. But we know that he was faithful to God unto death. You know, the word martyr is the word witness. He was a witness unto me, even unto death. Let me ask you something. Are you a witness unto Christ? The Bible says, and one of my favorite scriptures is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. When I go to eat, and, 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 and this is, let, let me put this way, before I became a pastor, when, when I got saved... All my friends were heathen. All my friends were drug dealers and dopers and, 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 and drug smugglers. 
I remember when I went back to St. Louis from Flagstaff, some friends of mine heard I was in town. They called and said, man, we just heard you were in, in town. I came back to get some stuff. I was staying in, in Arizona. They said, man, we got a party going on. Come on over. And I said, yeah, I'll come over. And they go, but don't preach to us. Listen, I'm not just a Christian on Sunday. I'm a Christian at school. I'm a Christian at work. When it's time to pray, I bow my head. I don't go. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, a a, a great book uh, that we all read when we first got saved. And it's it's not a light reading book. It's Fox's Book of Martyrs. And in that, it talks about people who have died for their faith. We live in a day and age in which people are embarrassed to, you know, uh, are you a Christian? Well, you know, I, you know uh, no, no, I, are, are you, you know, uh, kind of, no, are you kind of pregnant? <laughs> you're either a Christian or you're not, and I'm not ashamed. Matter of fact, it's the hope to the world. So we need to be proud to be born again Christians. Can I have an Amen. The Lord says, I know your, I know your uh, works. I know you've not denied the faith and you're not ashamed of me. Now, so far, things are going well. But all of a sudden, the Lord says, but. But I have something against you. Now, what I'm going to teach you is tremendously important. The Lord says, I know you go to church. I know you pay your tithes. I know you, you're doing this. I know you're doing this. But I have something against you. The Lord says, you have allowed those among you who embrace the doctrine of Balaam. Now, if you have a chance when you go home, read Numbers 22 through 24, and it's the story of Balaam and Balak. Israel is on their journey. They're almost at the end of the 40-year journey, and Balak the king comes to Balaam, who is a non-Israelite prophet. He is a prophet. And he comes and says, listen, I know that you have the ability from God. Now, I want you to listen very closely to what I'm saying. Now, understand this. Let me, let me reiterate something. God is, says, write this to the ministry, those in ministry. So this is first speaking to us who are in the ministry. But then it goes on to all of us that are in the church and the kingdom of God. Balak, who is the, a king, a, a secular king, comes to Balaam and he says, I know you're a prophet of God, so I'm going to give you money if you use your gift of prophecy and speak against Israel. Curse them. I'll pay you money to use your gift to curse Israel. So Balaam goes to, okay, man, I'll sell. I'll, I'll, I'll sell out. So he goes to curse him. He comes back to Balak and he said, I can't curse him. It wouldn't. He said, I'll give you more money to use the gift that God gave you to curse. He does it, tries it again. Comes back, can't work. I'll give you more money. Third time, doesn't work. He said, I can't. I, 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 it, it just won't come out. In fact, a donkey met me and told me I better not. Sometimes jackasses are smarter than the children of God. Amen? Amen. And so Balaam says, and here's the key. Balaam says, I can't curse him, but I've got a plan. He said, I'll give you more money if you give me this plan. He said, if you can't curse him, what we need to do is put a stumbling block in front of the Jews. He said, what's the stumbling block? He said, get the Jews to intermarry with the Moabites, and the Moabite women will seduce them and lead them into adultery, false religion, idolatry, and fornication. In Numbers 25, and, and, and we won't take time to pull it up, listen to this. 
It says, and the people, this is the story of seducing the children of God. And the people began to stray after Moabite women. And it goes on to say they sacrificed to idols. They ate things that weren't proper and they transgressed against God and man. They began to stray. The word stray means betrayal. They began to go after other gods because of this intermarrying between Moabites and Jews. Now, just to throw a side note in, this is one of the reasons why Jewish people are so firm on not having intermarriage with other religions because they're afraid if they bring other religions into their marriage, then they will begin to compromise the word of God. So the doctrine of Balaam, listen to what I'm about to tell you. The doctrine of Balaam is if you can't curse them, if you can't defeat them, get them to compromise. In chapter 15 of Numbers, I think it's chapter 15, God says, you ever see a Jew walking around and they've got these strings hanging out? Those are zitzits. And those are the 613 commandments of God. And they're to wear them on the outside. We have them on our, our tallits, our prayer shawls. And you're to wear them that wherever you go, you're reminded you're in this world, but you're not of this world. And you, these are to remind you that the word of God does not, no matter what situation you're in, no matter who you're with, no matter what it can prosper you, no matter what it can do for you, you are not to compromise the word of God. That's why they had it. So you're always looking at the word of God. But here we are, what is it, 10 chapters later, and they're not only compromising the word of God, they're compromising their own relationship with God. Now watch this. Tell me this isn't relevant for us today. So they couldn't curse them. So they went in and said, get them to compromise. And when the children of God began, listen what I'm telling you, I didn't plan this. When the children of God began to compromise against the word of God and begin to become relevant and compromise with the world, a plague came on the city. And 24,000 died because of that plague. Now, what shocks me in this is I was reading that, and I'd never known about the plague. It's historical fact. It's not hidden somewhere. It's not a hidden gem. It's historical fact. And I thought, here we are in the world. The reason why I started doing the churches of revelations because of the mark of the beast and COVID and all these things that are tied in. And, and, and uh, 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 you know, when I first got saved, the battles that we face were you can't listen to this song on the radio because it might be somehow... Uh, uh, singing about satan if you revert that's the battles we had today we got the battles of they're trying to shut us down they're trying to make us stop preaching the word of god they're trying to get us to control and be controlled by the government and it's happening all over the world and here i'm reading this when the church began to compromise the word of god it released a plague that brought death to twenty-four thousand people in ancient hebrew there's no word for what Revelations is a revelation, but it's also a prophecy. If you can't curse them, get the church to compromise. And if you can get the church to compromise, you can eventually corrupt them. Now, remember, Balaam did what he did for money. He took a gift from God and he was willing to sell out for money. I want you to look at Jude chapter 11. We'll bring it up on the board. I want to read it to you. Listen to this. Balaam was willing 
to take the gift of prophecy, take the gift of preaching, take the gift of healing, take the gift of of being an apostle, a prophet, and he was willing to sell it for greed. Look at Jude 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now remember, this is being written to pastors of the churches, but it also goes to children. But let's, 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 let's pick on the pastors first. We were sitting in the back and Pastor Sean, I was sharing this with the guys and Pastor Sean says, how do you keep that from happening? And I said, well, one thing is that you never hold back what the word of God says because you think you'll lose people. Or you'll lose popularity. Well, pastor, we have to be relevant. No, we don't have to be relevant. We have to be built on the word of God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Well, you know, it's, it's the year 2022. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as a pastor, I can't hold back. Matter of fact, the Bible says... If you hold back my word because of the looks on their faces, I'll take my anointing and I'll give it to somebody else. But let's say the same thing for the church. That, well, I'm not going to let anybody know I'm a Christian because they may not like me at work or they may. Listen, it's time for it's time for us to understand we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's time to say, you know what? This is right and this is wrong. Now, I shouldn't say it's time. It's always been that time. Look what the word of God says in Second Peter. Chapter 2, verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved being paid for corrupting his gifts. For corrupting his gifts. Maybe you have a gift for business. But if you do, Ill, if you, if you do business in a way that cheats somebody, well, I can get away with it. No, you can't. Just as I can get away with it. Because when I, as a, the Bible says, be not many teachers, for greater is your condemnation. My job is never to fleece the flock. My job is to feed the flock. I can take something that's true. We're talking about um, the prosperity message. Listen, I, I believe in the prosperity message a thousand percent. Give and it shall be given on you. If you give a little, you get a little. If you give a lot, you get a lot. But if you take that and you manipulate the people, that is taking the gift of God. And that's the spirit of Balaam. Well, if you give $96 for the next 96 months, Psalms 96, well, I, I'm not saying that that's not true. I can't say that, that somebody who says something like that, that's not true. But you, it better be true. It better be true. Because taking the gift and proselytizing it or prostituting it is exactly what the Lord is talking about in Balaam. Malachi 3, if you look at that, we always read, given shall be given unto you. How do we return tithes and offerings? How open the windows of heaven? But read what comes right before that. God says, I'm going to take the priesthood and I'm going to judge them the way they take an offering. So before the open windows of heaven, before the good measure pressed down, shaken together, before the tithes and the offerings, God says, I'm going to go to the sons of Levi 
And I'm going to judge them the way they take an offering. And then I'm going to bring you back to the offerings of old. First fruits, tithe, the kind of things that they did in the first coming of Jesus. So we've got to make sure that amongst us, that we don't allow in our hearts and in our lives the spirit of Balaam. Now, let me take you a little bit further here. The word, the name Pergamos, is the root word in English for bigamy and polygamy. Now, it's important that we understand this. It's also the word for marriage or united. Now, remember, the church of Pergamos is called, in history, the compromising church. It stands for being married or being united, but not in a good way. He also talks about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was two things. Is one, a hyper grace. That it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. You're all under the grace of God. Well, let me tell you something. It does matter how we live. Now, this is a big doctrine that's out there by friends of mine, and I love them. But I'm going to tell you something. I mean, if I got up and said, you, you don't have to follow the Ten Commandments anymore. You're under grace. What about thou shalt not steal? What about thou shalt not commit adultery or fornication? That's okay. Well, ask your wife. No, we're saved by grace, but we're to go and sin no more lest the worst thing comes upon us. Give me an amen. amen. The other doctrine of the Nicolaitans is a doctrine that the priesthood. Now, remember, we're talking about a marriage here. I'm going to show you something in a minute. I'm tying all these together. Is the priesthood dominates the laity. That whatever I tell you to do, do it. I, I can't even get my kids to do that. But it's a doctrine that the priesthood dominates. This is a time when John first had this vision. This is a time when the popes of Rome ruled emperors. The popes of Rome ruled kings. They controlled everything. This is the doctrine of Nicolaitan. It's an abuse of power. Do, should you respect the ministry? Yes. Honor your father and mother, both heavenly and earthly. Spiritual mother and father, earthly mother and father. Yes, you ought to honor whatever you, whoever your pastor is. You ought to honor them. But that does not give the right for the priesthood to run your life. Now watch this. This is, this is fascinating. Now he says, let's go back. We're talking about the doctrine of Balaam, okay? Selling the gift of ministry for money. We're talking about the doctrine of Nicolaitans, where the priesthood runs everything. And now he talks about the throne of Satan. These are all connected. Let me give you the history of the church. For 325 years after the resurrection of Jesus, can you, can you guys pull up the, um, the uh, Titus's arch, the picture of Titus's arch for me, please, if we have that? Titus's arch, if you look at this, this still exists in Rome. When Rome defeated a nation... They would build a monument showing what they plundered. Keep that up there, please. What they plundered from that nation. It was Rome that destroyed. It was Rome that crucified Jesus, not the Jews. It was Rome that destroyed the temple. It was Rome that crucified thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews. And when they destroyed the Rome, 
If you look at Titus's arch, they show bringing back the, to Rome the table of showbread, the menorah from the temple, different artifacts from the temple. I can remember when we met one of the greatest archaeologists. It was just a, a God meeting, and we were in a, a trip to Israel, and I get a phone call from some Jewish people here in Dallas, and they said, listen, Professor Nestler is in, in, in town. He heard you were there. He would like to meet you. And he's the, he's the Indiana Jones of all discovery. And, uh, and I said, any chance he'll come and speak to our crowd? And he said, yeah, he, uh, well, let me call. Yeah, he'd love to. So we got to meet the greatest archaeologist that uh, has ever dug up in, in Israel. And after the meeting, we were talking and I said, where's, the, where's the Ark of the Covenant? He said, where do you think it is? I said, I think it's in Rome. He said, without a doubt. Then he invited us, me to come and do some digs with him. Unfortunately, he passed away. But this was Rome, Rome destroying the temple of God and stealing its treasures. Right? So when John writes to the church in Pergamos, which is the center of government and the center of religion... He calls it the throne of Satan, the city that Satan lives in. How did that happen? For 325 years, the Roman government persecuted the church. Killed them, murdered them, burned them alive, crucified them, murdered them. The church was living in the catacombs. The Christians were in fear for their lives. Then comes along the Roman Emperor Constantine. Constantine is going to fight his brother-in-law for the uniting the Roman Empire. And he tells everybody he had a vision of a cross. Everybody put a cross on your, uh, on your shields and on your uniforms. And through this, we will, this sign we will conquer. And so he beat his brother-in-law. And so from England all the way through Europe, all the way through uh, mid, mid-Asia, all the way to Egypt, he says, boom, you're all Christians. You're all Christians. Well, they, they didn't even know, what, there was no television, there was no radio. They never even heard of Jesus. They, didn't even, they never even heard of Christianity. Boom, you're all Christians. And so in three, three, 325 years after the resurrection of Jesus, they meet in what's now um, Turkey, which is where the seven churches were, and they gathered all the leaders of the church. This is 325 years after the time of Jesus. Now they have pushed the Jews out mostly of leadership and they're all Gentiles. And so they get together to call the Council of Nicaea and they said, okay, we've got to come up with some way to unite everybody in religion. We're going to call everybody Christians and we have to come up with doctrines. Well, let's blame the Jews for killing Jesus. That'll be the start. Let's change the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday because that's the day the pagans worship. Right? Now watch this. Up until this time, the Roman Empire was nothing but paganism. It was nothing but pure paganism. But when Constantine said, boom, we're all now Christians... Overnight, with a snap of his finger, pagan temples became churches. Idols of Zeus and Apollos and other pagan gods. Boom! Is Paul the apostle? Is Peter the fisherman? Same temples, same statues, pagan idol worshiping because a Jewish uh, the Jews and the early church would never have any graven images in their church. Never, never. But we're going to unite everybody, make the Jews the enemy, turn everybody from Jerusalem to Rome. Boom. Now, all of a sudden, every pagan temple is a church and every idol is one of the saints. And this all comes together through the mother of God, the queen of heaven, and we worship her. That's how it all started. Right? Okay, now watch this. This is really interesting. Satan's number one instrument to bring 
the church to ruin was not a war. It was compromise. Let me say that again. Satan's number one weapon to ruin the church was we can't curse you. Let's corrupt you through compromise. So all of a sudden, just think about it. We're, we're all Christians and we're hiding in sewers and we're hiding in dungeons. And then all of a sudden, the Roman emperor says, come on out. Come on out. We're all for you. As a matter of fact, we're the government and the church of Rome is now going to support you. We're going to pay for your churches. We're going to give your leaders money. We're going to give your bishops and your pastors and your deacons finances to build the kingdom of God. You just have to build it the way we say. And all of a sudden, in the twinkling of an eye, Satan came up with a great idea. We can't stop them. We've murdered them. We've burned them. We've crucified them. They won't stop. Let's corrupt them through compromise. Let's tell them they need to be relevant. I mean, after all, Jesus died 325 years. We're a long way away from Jerusalem. You got to be all things to all people. And the curse became a compromise. Now, the Bible says, and remember this is a revelation and a prophecy. The Bible says concerning especially the last days that there will be those amongst you who are wolves and will rise up and carry you away. Let me repeat that again. If Satan came in and he's got a red cape on and horns and a pitchfork and you need to follow me and we go. But a lot of times he comes from the pulpit. Whether it's me or anybody else. And he says, you know what? Come on, that's old-fashioned. As a matter of fact, if you'll compromise, and we are a hair's breadth away from seeing that happen, the government won't fight us. Well, what if I say something and I lose my 501c3? I lose my tax exemption. The government won't fight us. They'll support us. They're called state-run churches. Ask China how that works. Now, I want you to see something. If you remember when we talked about Ephesus and we talked about Smyrna, Rome was putting the pressure through the Roman church. The Pope was putting pressure on... We're going to show the nine-minute one, guys, instead of the one-minute one. Rome was putting pressure through the church and the government for the Christians to turn their back on Israel and embrace Roman paganism. And God says, when you look at all these things, selling the gifts out, selling the office out, write these down and send it to the pastors. Make sure you don't sell out. Write these down and send them to the elders, the leaders, the worship team. Make sure it's not about being relevant. It's about being righteous. Because in this, you couldn't curse them. So you corrupt them through compromise. And then he says, this is the throne of Satan. Remember, Rome and the Roman government hates Israel.
Stand with me, would you please, all over the building. A lot of people have thought with many different dictators that the Antichrist was coming, but never more than with Hitler. But obviously Hitler was defeated. And one of the main reasons is, is that the number one prophecy concerning the return of Jesus had not yet been fulfilled. And God said, I will gather the Jewish people from around the world. Those who are in diaspora, those who are scattered. And he said, this miracle will be so great that the exodus of the Jews leaving Egypt will be like nothing in the eyes of the world. And yet most of the world doesn't see it. Everybody knows the Charlton Heston story of Moses leading the Jews out of Egypt, right? And parting of the Red Sea. But I want you to realize that when God delivered the Jews from Egypt, here was Egypt and there was Israel. I was down one time down at the, down at the, uh, the, the border between Israel and Egypt and we were staying there um, for Israel's Independence Day and I went up hiking into the mountains and there's a fence, there's a, there's a barbed wire, high barbed wire fence and I climbed up there, you know, and I'm looking and there's Egypt right there and I thought, you know, I've never been in Egypt. And so I'm, you know, I'm thinking nothing so I stick my leg through the fence and put both my, and now I can say I've stood in Egypt and later people told me, he said, you know, every part of that fence is being watched by the military. So I can imagine them going, Gentiles. <laughs> but it was right there. But God said there's going to come a time. It's the last great prophecy that I will gather the Jews who have no people, who have no language, who have no government, have no miracle, and I will bring them back to the promised land. You've heard me teach many times that this is where the expert said, this proves your Bible is a fairy tale. It can't happen. It has never happened in the history of the world where someone lost their country, they're scattered everywhere, and they come back and get their country. It, it, your, your, your Bible is a fairy tale. Right after that, what Satan meant for evil, God used it for good. And Israel became the nation of the Jews once again. The throne of Satan is a few things. Number one, it's compromise. There's a great preacher by the name of G. Campbell Morgan who said these words. And I would advise you to go to the internet and look up G. Campbell Morgan. He's got some great, great things to say. He's from many years ago, but he says, The reason why men no longer look to the church today is because she has been destroyed. She has destroyed her own influence by compromise. You know, people expect Christians to be different. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're not to go to the world to figure out how we're to build our churches. We build our churches on the kingdom of God, on the word of God, on the promises of God. Well, we've got to be relevant. Well, you know, l listen, let me say, I walked in the church a heroin addict, a drug dealer. God didn't say, go get cleaned up and then come back. God took me as I was. And then he cleaned me up. I'm not against anybody, whether homosexual or lesbian or committing adultery or fornication or drug users or drug dealers, whatever it is. There's none righteous, no, not one. But when we come to the word of God, the word of God isn't relevant. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it changes lives physically and spiritually. It changes lives. That's being relevant. We can't compromise. The doctrine of Balaam is... You, you, you've all heard the analogy. It's so old. I've heard it ever since I got saved. The frog in the pan. You put a frog in a pan of lukewarm water and you slowly turn the flame up. Slowly turn the flame up. Slowly turn the flame up. 
And eventually that frog just gets used to it and it'll sit there and boil. Now, I don't know if that's true. I've never done that to a frog. But we get the analogy. And that's what the world has done. You know, when I first started this, I did it because of COVID and because of the, the vaccine mandate and, and the control of the world and, and controlling borders and everything. And in the last year, it's mind-blowing how this thing just escalates. The flame's going up. And we just keep taking it. We just keep taking it. Now Sweden's putting a chip. We saw the picture in the back of the hand or on the arm or wherever. Eventually, they'll put it on the forehead or the back of the hand. Eventually, this is all going to happen. But one thing we need to understand is, folks, these teachings on the Church of Revelation is a revelation of what was going on then and a prophecy of what is happening right now. Let me end with this positive word. During this time and for millenniums, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the kings and the popes ruled the world. And then one day a guy by the name of Martin Luther said, Rome does not have the right to say we can only be saved through them. And it was called the Protestant Reformation. And what the Protestant Reformation was, was simply the church pulling away from the control of the Roman Empire spiritually and economically. But there's another Reformation that's taken place. If we go back to this church, it's the, the, these churches in, in seven churches in Asia, they said, you've got to cut loose of Israel. You've got to cut loose of your Jewish roots. And the further we get away from the first church, the further we got away. But then with Martin Luther, and Martin Luther, by the way, was a horrible anti-Semite. He said every Jew ought to be locked in the church and, and burned, in the synagogue and burned. And he did it. But through the Reformation, they said, you know what? We're not, we're, we can't let the government control us. We can't let Rome control us. And they started coming back. But now we're on the last chapter. You look at Hitler, and his, his, his thought was, I can control the world, but I have to kill the Jew. I read a speech by Hitler, and he said, if there's one Jew alive then the word of God will still be out there. We must annihilate them all. Let's you and I be that final chapter. Let's stand on the word of God. Let's come back to our roots. And when we connect to our roots, the harvest that we're going to see in these last days is going to be absolutely amazing. If you can't curse them, corrupt them through compromise. Listen, we love everybody. We don't care who you are. Come unto me, all your heavy laden and labor, and I will give you rest. But the word of God is the word of God. If we build our lives on that rock, when the storms hit, we're going to stand. If we build our house on the sand, the compromise of the world, we're going to fall. The devil's going to come and say, you know what? It's not cool to be a Christian. It's not cool to be a Christian. Let me tell you something. It's not cool to go to hell. It's not cool when you need him to heal cancer, but you're not there. It's not cool when you need him to touch your marriage, but you're not there. It's not cool when you need him to save your kids, but not there. But it's really cool when we can come boldly before the throne of God. Our Father who art is in heaven. Amen. I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. As we're standing here... Just very quickly, we won't bring you up. Say, Pastor, I need to give my life or rededicate my life to the kingdom of God. I need to ask the Lord into my life. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, no one's looking around. And you watching around the world, this is to you also. 
If you want to ask Jesus or rededicate your life or receive him as your Lord and Savior, would you slip your hand up and hold it there just for a moment and just keep it there because the whole time, just keep it there the whole time. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. I see that hand, that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. That hand. I see that hand. God bless you. I see, I see, I see, I see. That's all I see. That's all I see. Anybody else? Lift your hand up. I see that hand. Thank you, sir. God bless you. I see that hand in the back. That hand in the back. God bless you. That hand in the back. God bless you. Would you give these wonderful people a clap offering and say, we're glad you made that decision. We're glad. Folks, we must be who we are. We must not lose being the church of the Lord. We can't lose it. We've got to stand firm in love, in patience. There's a Hebrew word for patience in Hebrew, we've got to be patient because the Lord is coming soon. But we've got to be firm. When you've done all the stand, stand. And I'm not talking about being rude. Are you a born-again Christian? Yes. Would you like to meet Jesus as your Lord and Savior? We've got to tell people about the Lord. We've got to tell, how do we reverse this thing? We've got to get more of them saved than they're taking away from the church. The church is a place that we ought to hear the word of God. The church is a place that we ought to be uplifted, the two-edged sword uplifted, and God chastens those he loves. God doesn't hate anybody. He doesn't. He loves the sinner. Thank God. I walked in a sinner, walked out a saint. Speaking of sinners. <laughs> Let's bow our hearts, lift our hands before the Lord. Let's say this out loud. Say, Father... I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all my sin. Now I want to say something different. Say this. Father, give me boldness. The Bible says when they saw their boldness, they knew they'd been with Jesus. Father, give me that boldness so the world can see my light shine and point everyone to Jesus Christ. If you believe that, give the Lord a clap offering real quick. Are you going to say something? Watterson's going to say something. Now, listen, next Sunday, we're going to talk about standing for Israel. Does anybody know, and let me close with this. Remember, in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for what? Does anybody know what the Torah portion for today is, this week is? It's the, it's the number one Torah portion in all of the Torah. Take a wild guess. The Ten Commandments. God giving the world the Ten Commandments. A lot of people don't understand that on Mount Sinai, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, there weren't just Jews there. There were Gentiles there too. Because when God showed his power in Egypt, some of the Egyptians go, let your God be our God. We're going with you. And they left with all the silver and all the gold. Supernatural miracles. First end time transfer of wealth in the history of the Bible. So there were Jews and Gentiles there at Mount Sinai. When God wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger. Does anybody know? Now this is the holiest scriptures in all of the Hebrew Bible. Does anybody know what it's called? Huh? No? Anybody know what it's called? Yitro. Anybody know what Yitro means? Jethro. Who was Jethro? Moses' father-in-law that had been a pagan priest. Now, I was going to do a disciple. We, we, we decided that we're, once a month after one service, we're going to do a 15, 20-minute discipleship class. And I was going to do it on this, but I thought this is too good. I got to share this with everybody. So here in the Hebrew Bible, the holiest scripture in all scriptures to the Jewish people, and they name it after a Gentile. Why is that? Remember when God gave Moses the Torah? And Jethro comes. By the way, 
it, 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 you've heard me say this, but everybody, all the Jewish people laugh. They, you know, we've got a lot of Jewish friends that do tours and stuff. And they get down to the Dead Sea and they get down to the Red Sea and they get down to by Egypt. And they're always talking about they, they were lost for 40 years in the wilderness. Guys, they weren't lost. They weren't lost. It'd be like being lost in this room for 40 years. You can't find, you know, when, when you go down, you got the Red Sea in front of you. You got the mountains of Jordan on that side. You got the mountains of Israel on that side. You got the Dead Sea in front of you. They weren't lost. God just made them wander around until he got rid of all the negative people. Do you remember the teaching? Is it okay to give you a little discipleship? They looked into the promised land. Some of them went in, crossed the Jordan, went in, brought grapes back. They were already there. But the negative people were keeping them out. They came back and said, we can't make it. What if Biden gets us? And so they said, God said, as truly as I live, we're going to die. We're just, just a little, we're just little Christians. God says, as truly as I live, that which you've spoken in my ear, that which you speak and 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 you speak, that's what I'm going to do. Ten of them came back and said, we're going to die. God said, so be it. Two of them came back and said, we can whip those guys. Greater is he that's in us. God said, so be it. Right? Right? So here they are. God gives Moses the Torah, but he's down there, and Jethro shows up twice, at least twice. It's a little confusing. Well, you know, if I was lost for a year and somebody showed up, I go, Can I follow you home? (laughs) Would you leave some, some breadcrumbs? He was there twice. They weren't lost. God was just getting ready to get the right army up. Right? But Jethro comes in. God gave Moses the Bible. God gave it to him. Moses is trying to follow it. Jethro shows up and sees Moses killing himself, trying to take care of everything. So Jethro pulls Moses aside, brings him in to the tent, which is a very Jewish thing. You never embarrass someone publicly. Right? He brings him in and he says, Moses, let me show you how to do this. Now, God gave Moses the Bible. But this Gentile says, let me show you what it means. What did Moses say to him? Anybody remember? Stay with us. Be our eyes. Be our eyes. You lead us. And Jethro said, I'm coming. I'm coming with you to the promised land. But I got to go first back and get as many Gentiles as I can to come along. So they name the Torah portion, the holiest Torah portion in all of Judaism after a Gentile. Because the teaching is, is we as Jews sometimes we're too close to it. We can't see what it means, but God will bring us Gentiles and he'll open their eyes and together we'll understand the word of God and together we will enter the eternal promised land. We're right there, guys. We're right there. Amen. This is an exciting time. I'm telling you, this next year is going to be an amazing, amazing year. 